What if I could share with you the worst day of my professional life without fear or judgment or ridicule and without loss of respect? Do you think we could learn together from my experience? Case Matters, a podcast series created for Australian dental practitioners, intends to do just that. To create a shared experience where all points of view are explored to help empower safer practice. Hello, my name's Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection, and I'm going to guide you through today's case entitled, That's Assault Mate. We can quickly sense an angry and confused patient behind this complaint, and this case will enable us to explore what constitutes as consent in the dental surgery, and how and when confusion can arise. There are some conflicting views and opinions in this case, but which view is correct? All of them? Or just some of them? And is there such a thing as the right point of view in this at all? Or could it perhaps be that everyone's a little bit right and a little bit wrong? We'll hear from the people involved and also look at the final outcome to see what lessons can be learned. Today, we're going to start by hearing from the patient in this matter, Mr. Sheffield. I've always been scared of the dentist ever since I was a kid. I had a dentist put their knee on my chest when I was younger to try and get a tooth out. Geez, that hurt. And that really scared me and I think that's when it all started. So that was it. No more dentists for me. The thing is though, my teeth have started hurting really badly. It started off as just being sort of cold. Then I started getting bad pain that went on and on whenever I ate anything. And now it just wakes me up at night for no reason. I went to the doctor initially and he gave me some antibiotics which helped for a bit. So I went back when it started again, but he won't give me any more. He says I need to see the dentist. So there's nothing else for it. I'm going to have to go. I've decided to see the dentist my daughter and grandchildren go to. She says he's really good. I don't want to do this, but seeing someone recommended by my family is probably the best I can hope for. I just hope that he'll knock me out for whatever needs to be done, as I don't think I can face it otherwise. Dr. Durham had been practicing dentistry for many years and in that time had expanded his skill set to include intravenous sedation. He also has a monthly GA list which is filled many months in advance. Needless to say, Dr. Durham undertakes a lot of extractions on a lot of nervous patients. Let's hear from him about this. I didn't set out to grow a list of highly anxious patients. I simply became frustrated back in the day when my patients had such long waits for GAs. So I decided to do something about it and work to develop some reasonable and easily accessible alternatives for them. The problem is, of course, that anxious and phobic patients now flock to me. But that's fine, as I have the facilities to treat them as they need. And I do take great pleasure in helping those who otherwise would not be able to access treatment. Dr. Durham reviewed Mr. Sheffield's new patient form before he attended. Let me see. Relatively clear medical history form, bit of blood pressure, but really nothing you wouldn't expect to see in a man of his age. Hasn't seen the dentist since he was a child. (laughs) Well, that could be interesting. Although that said, this seems to be the first time he has had any pain. So hopefully, things won't be too bad. And... An extra note, he is anxious because his dentist knelt on his chest when he took his tooth out. I sometimes wonder what went on in those days. Did these things that we hear about really happen or was it just the patient's perception? Dr Durham proceeded to examine Mr Sheffield. Let's hear what he found. 
Well, it's a little hard to undertake a comprehensive examination when the patient won't keep their mouth open and keeps needing to sit up to rinse. But we got there. And from what I can see, the six, seven, and eight on the upper left-hand side are pretty badly broken down. He has some other holes, of course, but nothing anteriorly. And I will need to take an OPG to get a clearer view, as he cannot tolerate bite wings. I've tried, but he wasn't able to hold them in his mouth. I don't think this is going well at all. He's really stretching my cheek and he keeps blasting my teeth with cold air. Both of these things are really hurting and I don't like it. I don't like the way it feels and then those x-rays just make me gag. I hope this other x-ray doesn't hurt as well. This machine is very large and intimidating and I noticed he skipped out of the room quick enough and left me here, which doesn't really instill confidence. As anticipated, the OPG revealed other carrier's teeth. The upper left 6, 7 and 8 had a hopeless prognosis and they would be unrestorable. The upper right 8 and 6 were the same, however the upper right 7 appeared restorable with a large composite and likely without the need for endodontics. Less severe caries was also identified in the lower molars. Dr Durham sat Mr Sheffield down to talk things through. Mr Sheffield has several treatment options available to him which we discussed. We touched on root fillings, but they are not really a viable option for him, partially because he is hoping for a GA and to then wake up with it all done, and partially because I do not believe those molars are restorable, so I did not elaborate on this as a reasonable option. So we agreed that bilateral extraction of those upper molar teeth is in order. Then we can place the fillings and undertake a scale and clean, all under GA as naturally he does have a great deal of calculus. I also offered Mr Sheffield the option of IV sedation, but he's not interested. He just wants to be asleep and not know anything about the treatment. We then talked about filling the gaps left by the extractions with implants or a denture at a later date. It is lucky I had a GA cancellation, so I was able to slot him in quite promptly. I'm optimistic that Mr Sheffield's confidence will increase once he is out of pain, and has had successful care. I often find that cleaning everything up and then letting the patient have some short positive checkup and clean appointments can really build up their confidence and is instrumental in tackling their dental phobia. We can deal with the gaps later and in all reality, many patients function adequately with a shortened dental arch, so he may not require further treatment. Mr Sheffield listened to the information and agreed to a plan of five extractions and five fillings plus a scale and clean under general anaesthetic. Five teeth out feels like a lot to lose, but two of them are wisdom teeth, and I've heard that everyone needs those taken out, so I feel okay about it. So that means losing three others after about 30 years, so I can live with that. We can keep one chewing tooth on the top right, so that's something positive as well. Mr Sheffield completed the treatment under GA consent paperwork which included the line and any other treatment deemed necessary at the time. I'm not sure about that at all. What if he deems it's necessary to take out all of my teeth? But I'm desperate and I don't see that I have any other choice. I guess I'll just have to take that chance and trust that he is honest. He did explain that I'm in no position to make a choice once I'm knocked out. And I don't want to go through this twice, but it does feel like I'm signing my life away. Mr Sheffield completed the documentation, including the consent form, and the GA date swiftly came around. 
Regretfully, however, Mr Sheffield had a cold on the day, and so the anaesthetist deemed they could not safely proceed. Unbelievable. That's the problem with babysitting the grandchildren. They're like petri dishes full of germs. The next GA date available isn't for three months, and I simply can't wait that long. Dr Durham again offered Mr Sheffield IV sedation in lieu of the general anaesthetic. Grudgingly, Mr Sheffield accepted and completed the treatment consent paperwork on the day, again listed for five extractions, five fillings, a scale and clean, and any other treatment required. Well, I'm not agreeing to that. It was reasonable when I was asleep because he couldn't wake me up to tell me if things had changed. But with this twilight sleep, Dr Durham says I'll be awake enough to cough, swallow and talk. So if that's the case, he can check in with me at the time if anything from the plan needs to change. Mr Sheffield crossed out the line about any other treatment deemed necessary and wrote next to it, I do not agree to this. Dr Durham did not check the paperwork before proceeding, other than to check the signature was in place and to ask Mr Sheffield if he had any other questions about the treatment. Do you think this was reasonable? Should Dr Durham have checked every page of the paperwork? Should Mr Sheffield have directly voiced his objection to the any other treatment part of the consent to Dr Durham before the treatment commenced? And what do you think is going to happen next? We joined Dr Durham partway through the procedure. Oh, well, that's unexpected. The 1-7 is absolutely unrestorable. That doesn't tie in with the OPG or my visual inspection at all. The other cavities have been as expected, it's just this one. I wonder if the tooth was hypomineralized or something in the first instance, or perhaps a fluoride bomb. I really just can't do anything with it. If I fill it, it's a ticking time bomb and he's bound to get pain. Not what I want for him. I will just have to extract it. We did talk about needing to change the plan in the moment, so I will discuss it with him and his support person after the procedure and give him a call the next day. Dr Durham did just that and Mrs Sheffield accepted the explanation regarding the removal of the additional tooth. Mr Sheffield did not express any particular view at the time, however. I cannot believe he pulled out all my top back teeth. That's not what we agreed to at all. I have nothing to eat with now. Notwithstanding how much pain I am in right now, it's much worse than before and the bleeding is much more than I expected. I'm not having this at all. I categorically said no to any extra extractions undertaken on his whim. He could have spoken to me at the time and he made no attempt to, not that I would remember, mind you. He must have had the drug level up too high because I cannot remember a thing. I won't stand for this. He's gone against my wishes and this is a violation of my trust and my rights. Mr Sheffield penned the following letter to Dr Durham. Dear Dr Durham, I'm appalled at the treatment you provided to me two days ago when you extracted an additional upper top tooth without my consent. We had agreed to leave the tooth behind and fill it, so I had something to chew with. You didn't, and now I cannot eat and I'm in extreme pain after the treatment. I categorically stated on the consent form you provided to me that I did not give my consent to any deviation from the agreed treatment plan. I was technically awake, so had you needed to do anything other than what we had agreed, you could have spoken to me at that time and we could have discussed that. I've vomited several times since the treatment and I believe this is a result of being administered too many drugs. 
Your over-familiar attitude towards me made me feel uncomfortable. It really is inappropriate to address me as mate, as you have done several times during your interactions with me. We are both grown men, we are both professionals, and I do not expect to be addressed in this informal and unprofessional manner. Regarding the extraction without consent, that's assault, mate, and I know my rights. You'll be hearing from my lawyer. Naturally, Dr Durham was incredibly distressed to receive an email of this nature and quickly reviewed the documentation. To his horror, he saw that Mr Sheffield had indeed crossed out the line regarding additional treatment deemed necessary and had compounded this by writing next to it. He didn't agree. He quickly called Dent Protection for advice. In a matter such as this relating to the legalities of consent, we consult with our in-house lawyer, Ms Helen Harborn, and I'll ask her to talk through the issues. Thanks, Emmeline. From a legal perspective, definitions of consent vary between Australian state and territory jurisdictions, but generally speaking, consent can only be given if it is free and voluntary, without fear, coercion, intimidation, or anything else that inhibits free agreement. Definition of assault under the criminal code is very broad. Essentially, assault is applying force of any kind to another person, either directly or indirectly, without the person's voluntary consent. Interestingly, attempting to even spit on another person is an accepted form of assault in Australia. On this basis, whilst it might have sounded outlandish for Mr Sheffield to accuse Dr Durham of assault, from a legal perspective, there is some merit to his accusation. Treatment without the consent of the patient, and in this case the expressed, written and signed denial of consent, could result in the treating provider being liable for assault should the patient decide to press charges. Consent is therefore of utmost importance to every dental practitioner's everyday practice and it is vital it is given adequate time and attention. When seeking consent, dental practitioners should comply with the Dental Board of Australia's Code of Conduct, which clearly sets out for practitioners what good practice in relation to consent and other issues involves. On the face of it, Dr Durham took reasonable care in explaining the treatment involved and obtaining Mr Sheffield's agreement, and he even obtained the consent in writing. However, his conduct fell short of good practice when he did not pay attention to what was written on the consent form by Mr Sheffield. He only checked that his signature was on the form. To assist in his understanding of this advice, Dr Durham was directed to Section 3.8 of the Dental Board of Australia Code of Conduct, which relates to consent in respect of patients who may have additional needs. Dr Durham was aware of the very high level of anxiety faced by Mr Sheffield and ought to have realised he would have additional needs in relation to obtaining consent from him. The Code of Conduct states that particular attention must be paid to all communication with patients with additional needs and communication of course extends to written communication, not just verbal. Knowing Mr Sheffield's significant aversion to receiving dental treatment, Dr Durham should have paid more attention to the consent forms once they were returned by Mr Sheffield. Best practice would have been not only to check the written form for any changes, but also to ask Mr Sheffield if there were any concerns that he had regarding the consent form. 
Finally, Annalene, I think it is important to also recognise that there was a further breakdown in communication if Mr Sheffield believed that he would retain the ability to make informed decisions whilst he was sedated. While twilight sleep does not put the patient fully to sleep, as you are aware, it is most certainly not the same as being fully awake. Mr Sheffield seems not to have understood this entirely. Thank you, Helen. So can I ask you then, do you believe Dr Durham had a valid consent in place to extract the 1-7? No, Annaline, I don't believe that Dr Durham did have valid consent to undertake the extraction of tooth 1-7. This places our Dr Durham in a difficult position indeed, and he is certainly vulnerable to a legal claim and or a regulatory complaint. However, this matter took a surprising turn of events, and I'll let Mr Sheffield tell you a little more. I was really fired up when I wrote that letter and I will confess I was surprised when Dr Durham rang me back to respond, as I had expected him to send me some weasel word excuse by writing. He invited me into his surgery to talk. I said I didn't want to, which in hindsight was a bit petulant. So we apologised. He apologised for any confusion regarding the extraction and the distress it had caused me and my family. He asked my permission to explain why he made the decision that he did on the day which I gave because I was starting to feel that I was being a little bit unreasonable and I wanted to hear what he had to say. He explained everything and apologised for not knowing that the tooth would be a problem sooner. But he pointed out it was only after he began treating it that he was able to establish that it was a hopeless cause. He also apologised for calling me mate. He explained that it was his experience that many nervous patients prefer to have a lighter interaction style rather than a hierarchical call me doctor, as it helps manage their fear. He apologised for not checking with me regarding how I preferred to be addressed, and he finished by asking me what he could do to help make things right with me. To be honest, I don't really know how he do put things right, but I do respect his transparency and his humility, and so I have agreed to go in for a consultation. That sounds promising. Let's hear from Dr Durham. I was sick to my stomach when I received that letter and double-checked my paperwork. I don't really know what I expected dental protection to say, but it felt like a kick to the stomach when they confirmed that I didn't actually have consent. I played it over in my head. If only I had checked the paperwork on the day. And I will confess, I also had a moment when I felt quite cross with Mr Sheffield for blaming me for his bad teeth. Couldn't he see I wanted to help him? In hindsight, it was a bit like going through the five stages of grief. Well, if you know anything about this process, you will know that pleasingly, stage five of grief is acceptance. So, when I got there, I was able to meaningfully consider Dental Protection's advice, which was to give Mr Sheffield a call and invite him in for a chat. Of course, he wouldn't come in. In fact, he was really short with me initially on the phone. But I became a dental practitioner to help people, and upsetting someone is the last thing I ever want to do. I didn't actually agree with his point of view or his letter, to be honest. But it's not about what I think. It's about what Mr Sheffield thinks. So I persevered and I spoke from my heart, my morals and my integrity. Mr Sheffield has agreed to come in for a chat, which, frankly, I'm dreading. 
but I also want to make things right, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity. Mr Sheffield attended as planned, and after some sheepish and uncomfortable shuffling around from both parties, they were able to agree to trying some partial cobalt chrome dentures in the short term after healing to fill in the posterior bilateral spaces. Dr Durham offered a discount as a gesture of goodwill and reflective of his desire to make things right, and Mr Sheffield accepted. Mr Sheffield continues to attend the surgery, though not as regularly as recommended, and the two are on very good terms. There can be no doubt there are some lessons in this case, including some regarding open-ended consent and how it can trip up a practitioner, and also lessons around communication styles and techniques. But what will you take away from this case? We'd love to hear from you. Thank you all for joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this edition of Case Matters. The cases discussed in Case Matters are presented as an educational aid to dental protection members and to act as a risk management tool. They're based on issues arising in dental protection cases in Australia, and some facts have been altered to preserve confidentiality. If you like dental protection podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.